One of the distinctives here at Pillar, although not unique in the entirety or the overarching history of the church, is that we prioritize and we practice corporate family worship. And for those of you who've been here with us now for a while, you know that we intentionally practice and we encourage family worship, not because of any practical reason, though it is practical in many ways, not because of tradition, though our forefathers in the faith did greatly emphasize this practice, but we practice congregational family worship because we believe that it's a biblical mandate given by God to us through His Word. And so with that being a distinctive here, and with the upcoming worship and family class coming around the corner in our Christian ministry or Christian education ministry, uh, I wanted for us to study Ephesians chapter 6 and use that as sort of a primer to paint a picture for us on what a godly family is to be and to look like. And so if you've noticed, I've titled today's sermon as Family Portrait, as I hope to unpack the biblical patterns laid out for us as children and as parents within our homes. But with that said, if you have your copies of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 5, and we'll read through verse 4. Again, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 4. Receive now God's inerrant and infallible word. We read verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Before we turn to the word of the Lord, let's first come and bow to the Lord of that word in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's in You that we find everlasting strength for the weak, unsearchable riches for the needy, and treasures of wisdom and knowledge for the unbelieving. And as we now turn our attentions to the preaching and receiving of Holy Scripture, we pray that You would so fill us with Your Word. And as Your Word goes forth to accomplish all that You desire, grant to us to hear Your truth, so that by hearing we may understand and in understanding we may believe, and in believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience. And that to your glory and praise. We ask these things in the name of our beloved Savior and King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Our passage here today clearly demonstrates for us that our God is in the business of building homes. Despite what the world tries to offer in its lies, and despite what the world attempts to do time and time again in trying to break down and redefine God's original design for the family unit, our text provides for us a clear portrait of what a family is to be. 
Now, to quickly provide some context here, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4, is tied together under the larger theme that's found in verse 18 of chapter 5, which reads, Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And one of the fruits of being filled with the Spirit is the Christian ministry of active and intentional submission to one another. This is a Spirit-filled submission that necessarily affects all of our relationships in life, as Paul details out for us, Uh, in specific, wives to husbands and husbands to wives and children to parents and parents to children and servants to masters and masters to servants. And so in light of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God, we turn our attentions to our text to examine Paul's address to the children first and to the parents, which will serve as our outline for today. So, if you like jotting things down, again, I love to give outlines. Here's the outline. Our first point being the duty of children, verses 1 through 3. The duty of children. And second, the duty of parents, verse 4. The duty of parents. Now, look down with me to verse 1 and let's read this together again. We read here, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Apostle Paul begins this portion of his epistle by directly addressing the children. Meaning, Paul writes this apostolic letter with the expectation that children would be found gathered within the corporate assembly to hear this direct address. Which again goes to emphasize the very reason for why we practice uh, corporate family worship within this church. By implication, we find here that families are Uh, expected to worship together. Children need to be involved in corporately singing the same songs as their parents. So as they continue to sing and confess the same truths that we all do together, and as they continue to grow on to greater maturity, and as they begin to better understand and articulate the words that they're saying, that these songs would then be greatly used by God to continue to minister to their young souls. Our children need to be sitting under the same ministry of the Word, knowing very well that it's the preached Word of God that's used by God Himself as the ordinary means of God and grace unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you guys know this very well. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so, beloved, in knowing this, We need to make sure that we defend and we cherish and prioritize corporate family worship in this church. Apostle Paul, in addressing the children within the congregation, writes, Obey your parents. Now, young ones in here, I see some of you in here, high schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary school and younger, I want you to pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you Because God's Word addresses you this afternoon. And so moms and dads, if your children are sitting next to you, I want you, to the best of your abilities, to keep them focused and to guide them through reading this passage together. And so children, I want to begin by doing some grammar with you. I know some of you hate grammar, but let's do some grammar. I want you to notice, how does Paul begin verse 1? 
In verse 1, he writes, children, obey your parents. He begins with what we would call an imperative. It's a command. In other words, this obedience that God calls you to do is not optional as much as you might want it to be. He doesn't write, children, try to obey. He doesn't say, children, attempt to obey, nor does he say, think about obeying. But he writes, obey, do it. There's no choice that's to be made by you, but this is what God rightfully requires of you as children to do underneath the supervision of your parents. And also notice that this command is written in the present tense, which is to say you're not only required to obey once or twice or even many times, but you're to go on continually obeying your parents. It's a command that's to be done all the time, meaning it's never okay for you to think, okay, I was pretty good yesterday at the barbecue. I listened to mom and dad a lot. I did everything they asked me to do. I think I was pretty obedient. And so today, I think that, I don't know, perhaps I'll go and do my own thing and be a little disobedient, do what I want to do today. But young ones, it's for you to know that this kind of thinking is the same exact kind of thinking that God prohibits. The Bible is absolutely clear here that as children, you are to obey your parents actively and continually. And now how are you to continually obey your parents? Look down again to verse 1 with me. We read here, you're to obey your parents, and we read, in the Lord. The quality of your obedience to your parents is that it's to be done in Christ. One commentator writes this, the phrase in the Lord modifies the verb obey, not parents, which is to say that the point is not that Christian children must merely obey Christian parents, but rather that Christian children must obey their parents in keeping with their commitment to Christ. In other words, children are to obey as the Lord would expect them to obey. The children are addressed in Christ and so that they must act in keeping with the statutes of Christ. And so young ones in here, this room today, the question that I want to ask you and the question that I have for you this afternoon is a simple one, yet a profound one. And my question to today for you, and I want to ask you, is this. Are you in Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? We find here in our passage that Apostle Paul isn't just generally addressing all the children, which is partially true, but he's specifically addressing children who are saved. Children who have, as we've just read, who are in the Lord. He's writing to those who are trusting and walking and believing in Christ. Those who are converted and filled with the Spirit of God. And so young ones in here with us today, I need you to listen to me. I need you to know this with absolute surety. That no matter how young you are and no matter what anybody says to you about your age or situation, You must know that you are never too young to know the dangers and the destructive power of sin. 
And you will never be old enough to look to Christ as your Savior. Paul, in addressing children here in his letter to the church, means that you must be saved. And that by looking to Christ, that you too can be and must be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Young ones, this gospel promise of salvation isn't just for your parents. It's not for the elders. It's not for the adults only. But it's for you to know. It's for you to have this gospel promise unto salvation that you have to keep. And I thank the Lord that there are some of you in here who are saved. Who I've had the great pleasure of hearing you confess and to demonstrate your allegiance to Christ as I've talked to you one-on-one. But for those of you children in here who have yet to trust in Jesus, perhaps you might want to trust in Jesus who might be torn about how to trust in Jesus. Let me encourage you to go and talk to your parents. They're ready for you. And know that your parents and all of your pastors here, whether they're here or in Israel, wherever they are, are continually praying for you and are hopeful for you. Especially being that you're under the sound teaching of the gospel week in and week out. This is our desire for you, my friend. Now you must know, Spurgeon once said, where the gospel abounds, conversions abound. And we thoroughly believe that here, do we not? Children, we're very hopeful for you that God would save the many of you. If not all of you. So now what exactly does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord? It means this. It means that your obedience to your parents is ultimately a matter of your obedience to God. Now before it sounds like this sermon is only addressed to children, to the children of our church, parents, in in reading verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. The question that we need to be thinking about and the question that should be flooding each and every one of our minds is, well, how are our children to know what it means to even obey in the Lord? The question that you should be thinking about is, who's to teach them what it means to be and what it looks like to be in Christ? Deuteronomy 6, you don't have to turn there, but let me read this to you. The Shema, you might know this. We read in Deuteronomy 6. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And he writes this in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So how are the children to know what it means to obey in the Lord. Youth group, children's ministry, Bible study teachers, elders and pastors, it is, is it our jobs? No. We read it's you. Parents must teach them diligently. Fathers and mothers, God has given each and every one of you in this room here today the privileged responsibility in teaching your children on what it means to be faithful in Christ. This obedience that God calls our children to doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It just doesn't come up. 
But this obedience that we find here is to be carefully cultivated and nourished through the diligent instruction and discipleship found within our very homes. This to say, parents, if your children fail to obey you, if they fail to obey you, especially because you fail to raise them faithfully in the Lord, you can't point to Ephesians 6.1 and you can't say to them, God says obey me. Obey me. We read right here in God's word. I'm your dad. I'm your mom. Obey me. It's right. And the reason why you can't point to this text and use it against your children is because at the end of the day, this verse isn't even about their obedience to you as much as it is about their obedience to Christ. Parents, what we need to recognize here is that each and every one of us are called to teach and instruct our children on what it means to obey in the Lord. First and foremost, by teaching them what it means to obey the Lord Himself prior to obeying us. James Boyce, he writes, The obligation is not merely on the side of the children who must obey, but also on the side of the parent who must enforce and teach obedience. To teach the child to obey the parent is to teach the child to obey God. What great words. And so as we see the clear imperative for children to obey parents, and just as I've asked the children a question, the question that I have for you this afternoon, parents, is this. How have you so discipled your children in the Lord? How have you demonstrated to your children on what it means to be in Christ? To love Christ. To prioritize the Lord and to serve Him with all your heart, soul, and strength. Now going back to the children. Why should you obey your parents in the Lord? We read here at the end of verse 1. Paul writes, For this is right. God, as the creator and the designer and definer of the family, has determined, determined it to be right and to be good for you to obey your parents. And he continues to write in verse 2, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now this command to honor your father and mother should sound very familiar to all of us, especially for those of us who've grown up in the church. And it's Paul directly quoting the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And let's actually turn there real quick. If you have your Bibles, again, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And if you need help from your parents, turn to them and say, help me. <laughs> Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. We read here, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Long ago on Mount Sinai, God gave Israel two stone tablets upon which He wrote down His law. Written on the first tablet, we would read the laws regarding man's duty to God. Man's duty to God. And on the second tablet, we would read laws regarding man's duty to man. And so, for example, if we were to consider the command you shall have no other gods before me. This law would be found on the first tablet as man's duty to God. 
And if we were to consider the command, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, this law would be found on the second tablet as man's duty to fellow man. But what's interesting here is that the Jewish people have historically and traditionally have always placed this fifth commandment to honor your father and your mother, this first command with a promise, not on the second tablet, which is man's duty to man, but they've always kept it on the first tablet, which is again man's duty to God. It's interesting, right? And the reason for why the Jewish people did this is because the Israelites believed that obedience to parents wasn't man's duty to man, but it was first and foremost man's duty to God. Meaning, and young ones, I want you to listen to this one, meaning one of the reasons for why your obedience to your parents is so absolutely crucial is because if you never learn to obey your parents, you will never learn to obey God. It's an outright contradiction for you to say that you know and love the Lord while at the same time live in total disobedience to your mothers and fathers. Young ones, God has graciously placed each and every one of you for the time being within homes under your parents so that they might serve to you as dim reflections of God over your lives. Not that your parents are God, far from it, but that your parents might serve to you as spotlights to redirect the eyes of your heart, not to them, but to our Heavenly Father. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to turn back, verse 2. Children are called by God to obey their parents in the Lord by honoring them. Although honor means much more than just to obey, it also is nevertheless less than to obey. Children, when the Bible commands you to honor your parents, it calls for you to love your parents and respect your parents and to revere them. It's a deep reverence for your parents that then manifests itself in obedience to your parents. You must obey your parents out of a love for them. And let me quickly add before you try to pull a fast one, because I know some of you are quick thinkers. I want you to see that Paul refers to parents, to both mom and dad. There's no favoritism that can be played here. You can't just be listening to mom and not to dad, and listening to dad and not to mom. You can't just listen to whoever you want to listen to or whoever buys you whatever you want to get. But God divinely calls, He divinely calls you to honor both mom and dad. And it's for you to understand that it's both mom and dad who have authority over your life. Both mom and dad have a united partnership under God over you as your parents. So I need you to know that to disobey or disrespect your mom is just as much to disobey or disrespect your father. And to disobey and disrespect your father is just as much as an offense to disobey and dishonor your mom. And so young ones, your dad and mom are under God as one over you. 
And it's to your parents that God has called you to honor and obey. Now what's even more interesting about this commandment to honor your father and mother is that it comes with a promise. Verse 3, we read, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Children, if you want to live a long and blessed life, the Bible says here that the key ingredient is for you to honor your fathers and your mothers. Now the question that comes, and it came to my mind, and perhaps to some of you, is that does God really mean, does He really mean that obedience will really lead to a long life on earth? I had to really think about this one as I was studying. Now let's just say for the sake of example, that your son or your daughter has a dear and close friend named Mary. They grow up in the church together, they're Families are close friends. They've attended the same school from childhood all the way through high school, went to all the same Bible studies, the same church, retreats, shared countless meals together, and were planning on college and future plans together. Then all of a sudden, tragedy strikes, and God takes Mary away. In reading this verse, in the midst of all the heartbreak, And your son or daughter comes up to you and asks, Did God break His promise? Mary was a Christian. She was more faithful, more loving. She was more caring, more obedient to her parents than me. Did God fail to keep His promise here? Mom? Dad? Now how would you go about answering that question? I hope that we would all begin by saying, No. God never breaks any of His promises. To live long here on earth doesn't necessarily mean that everyone who passes away early lived a life of dishonoring his or her parents. So what is Paul trying to say here? One commentator writes this, and it's helpful. He writes, God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long he or she may live on the earth. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. And so the principle that Paul is trying to communicate here is that children who obey their parents in the Lord will escape a great deal of many sins and dangers that constantly loom around the corner. And thus avoid the things that can so threaten or shorten their lives. In other words here, Life is not measured here in this promise by the quantity of time, but it's measured by the quality of experience lived here on earth. And so children, if you want to live a long life, rather, if you want to live a full life, characterized and quantified not by the number of days, but by the quality of your time, then you must obey your parents in the Lord. You must obey out of your own personal worship and love for God. And if you ever want to know the condition of your heart or your love for God, measure it by examining the condition of your obedience to your parents. And if you ever want to know the condition of your obedience to God, measure it by examining the condition of your love for your parents. 
Now shifting from the duty of children to the duty of parents, verse 4. If you look down again with me, we read, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The imperatives that we find here given to parents come both in the negative and the positive. What we're not to do and what we're called to do. Now first, the negative. I want you to notice, parents, the subtle change here. And I don't know if you caught it or not, but Paul begins this whole passage by instructing children to obey their parents, to honor both father and mother. But notice here, Paul makes a shift and he directs his letter now to who? You look down. Fathers. To fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now I want to quickly note that although Paul's writing to the fathers here, this does not by in any way, shape, or form exempt mothers from doing what God has also called you to do in instructing and admonishing your children. Paul, in addressing the fathers, what we find here is that the fathers are to be the representatives of both parents. Much like the, uh, the book of Proverbs, as many of you know, a book filled with the instructions from a father to his son, we find scattered all throughout this book the inclusion of the teachings from mom. For example, Proverbs 1.8, we read, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. And so the same principle carries through here, that both fathers and mothers are responsible in the instruction and admonition of their children together. And although it would be proper for us to say that both parents must be kept in mind here, I also do believe with all my heart that it would be a great disservice and a grave mistake to miss the fact that the emphasis does fall on fathers. And so what Paul is saying here by writing this is he's saying, mothers, I need you to listen. But fathers, I need, to, I need you to listen even more here. I need you to have your ears open for what I'm about to tell you. And what's interesting is that Paul begins his instruction to fathers not by telling them to rule well. He doesn't command them to govern well or to make sure that the kids stay in line. But he begins by saying, fathers, don't make your children angry. He begins by saying, don't embitter your children in such a way that they become discouraged or lose heart. And we can spend hours and hours and days to create a significant list on the many ways we as parents can do this, can we not? Abuse of parental authority. Unnecessary uh, uh, rules and regulations. Petty corrections. Unjust and unwarranted parental treatment. Inconsistencies. Cruel treatment. Or how about this one? Indifference. When we think of the many ways of how we as parents can provoke our children to wrath, we need to recognize that provocation doesn't only manifest itself from cruel treatment, but it can also manifest itself from cruel neglect. The message that Paul's trying to make here is this. He's saying, fathers, don't hinder your children from doing what they've been called by God to do in the Lord. 
whether it be by commission or by omission, whether it be intentional or unintentional, if our children are called by God to obey their parents in the Lord, don't make it harder than it already is to obey you. As young or as old as our children may be, brothers and sisters, they're not blind to they're not blind to the things that you prioritize in your life. If you live your lives as if you're always just too busy and don't have time for them, they understand that message loud and clear. They're able to understand that work is more important. They're able to understand that your own personal time of relaxation is more necessary. That golf or fishing or sports or whatever it may be is more essential than them. And friends, I'm not saying hobbies or rest isn't important because there's a time and place for all of these things. And I'm not saying these things to make you feel in a certain way, nor am I trying to tell you how to rear or raise your children because let's admit it, it's, I mean, I'm experiencing this every day. It's hard. It's difficult. But what I am absolutely sure of here and what the Word of God is absolutely clear on communicating is this. That we need to take our God-given responsibility of shepherding our children seriously. We need to be earnest with how we disciple our children. We're to lead and to encourage our children not to provocation, but unto the joy of the Lord. We're commanded by the Lord not to provoke our children unto wrath. But verse 4, let's continue on. We read, but to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The Greek word that's used here for bring up is the word uh, ektrepho. Although this translation is right and good, we can actually more literally translate this word as nourish. Parents who are filled with the Spirit of God, are commanded to nourish their children. How? By the training and the admonition in the Lord. Now what distinguishes Christian parenting from any other parenting done in the wisdom of this world is that all of our training and admonition, all of our dis- dis- uh, disciplining and uh, discipleship and our warnings too are to be done in the Lord. Just as children are instructed to obey fathers and mothers in the Lord, parents, in the very same way, are called by God to nourish their children in the very same way, in the Lord. There's a qualitative difference in how we're to rear our children. Said in another way, the primary concern for Christian parents is not simply that our sons and daughters will be obedient to our authority, but that through godly training and admonition, our children would come to know and obey our Father Father in heaven, our Lord. And brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, I mean, this is the very passion and the heartbeat of parenting, is it not? That in all that we do before the Lord, by the grace of God, that we would present our children to know God. Parents, in raising and nourishing our children, we must never forget that God has given to us the most sacred commission. 
Now, I've spoken to many of you parents out there one-on-one, and it's not uncommon for me to hear you guys tell me about how your children are the greatest gift that God has ever given to you in your marriages, which is right and true. But how often do we forget, as we even look at our own children, that we forget that God has put under our very care and our authority an immortal soul. Parents, we need to remember and consider the fact that from the very moment when you found out that you were pregnant, that your wife was pregnant, from that very moment to this present time, God has used you as mediate instruments to bring about a human being with a never-dying soul. Now that's heavy. And it's just not just a matter of God using you to physically and biologically bring this, these children into this world, but he gives to us children who will have to one day stand for themselves before the throne of God and give an account of their life. Fathers and mothers, this is a very heavy thought. God, in giving us the gift of our children, has commissioned us with the most holy and solemn and sacred duty to nourish our children in the Lord, and that for the Lord, and that to the glory of God alone. In our day of passive parenting, friends, by the Spirit of God, we need to forsake the wisdom of this world and we need to embrace the Word of God. And if we're truly to ever understand this sacred commission in nourishing our children, then we must learn from the sacred Scriptures. Apostle Paul, in directing and addressing specifically the fathers, brothers, let me address you for a brief moment. How are we to nourish our children in the training and instruction of the Lord unless we ourselves know what the Word of God teaches? And so I ask you, brothers, I ask you, fathers, are you a man of God? Are you a man of God? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Are you daily in the Word and in prayer? Are you daily interceding on behalf of your family? If we were to take a step back and your wives and your children were to give an account of who you really are, what would they honestly say? Would they be able to say, as they look to you and point to you and say, that's a man of God. That's my father. He loves the Lord. And he loves me. What would they say? Brothers, our children are not looking for perfect fathers. I want you to know that. And far be it that we'll ever be perfect for them. But what they need and what God requires for us to be for them, we need to be holy men. Men who are filled with the Spirit. Men who love the Lord. We need to be fathers who love our children by continually pointing them to our Heavenly Father who is Himself in every perfect way perfectly fit to save them. In every way perfectly providing for them and sustaining them and preserving them in that for eternity. Puritan Richard Baxter In his work, The Godly Home, he dedicates a a good portion of his book to say, 
that there is no greater weapon within Satan's arsenal than an ungodly husband and father. That's hard. He writes, wicked parents are the most notable servants of the devil in all the world and the bloodiest enemies to their children's souls. More souls are damned by ungodly parents than by any instruments used by him in this world. And so brothers, fathers and mothers included, mothers included, does this describe you? Are you greatly used daily by the devil to the destruction of your own children's soul? If it does, then I must call you to repent and flee to Christ. And it's to all of us that we must model our fatherhood on the fatherhood of God, my brothers. Fathers and mothers, never take your God-given commission to nourish your children in the Lord lightly, but continue to strive with all your strength and ability to be the father and mother, mother that God has called you to be in the Lord. And as we come to a close, Though I primarily address the children and parents today, I hope that all of you know that this passage is nonetheless applicable and beneficial to all of us here hearing the Word of God. For the Word of God is profitable not for just some, but for all who hear, all the singles and engaged and those who are married without kids. And so I want to quickly address you before we close. For the single brothers and sisters here, I want you to know that the best thing that you can do for your future spouse and future children is to continually strive and grow in your personal devotion and love and holiness and knowledge of God. For those of you who are engaged or married without kids, if you haven't already done so, let me encourage you to begin establishing a pattern of worship within your home. Now, one of the worst things that I believe that you can do for yourselves and for your children is to wait to have kids to even begin considering family worship. It is now that you must create a pattern of worship so that you might be able to invite your children into the worship services that's already happening within your home. And I want to close with a final exhortation and warning in the words of J.C. Ryle in his work, The Duties of Parents, a book that I highly recommend, both an exhortation and warning, he writes this. Parents, if you love your children, do all that lies within your power to train them up in the Lord and to have a habit of prayer. Teach them the Word. Show them how to pray Tell them what to say. Encourage them to persevere and remind them of the dangers that come if they become careless and slack about it. And he writes this, Believe me, if you never see your children reading the Holy Scriptures, and if you never hear your children in prayer, know that you are much to blame. Children, young ones, Never cease to obey your parents in the Lord. And parents, never cease to nourish your children in the Lord through His Word. And in all that God calls each and every one of us to be and do, may we do all things in the Lord, to the Lord, and for the Lord and His glory alone. Let's pray. O good and gracious Father, 
Lord, we pray that you would give to us homes that are firmly built upon our Savior. Help us to recognize that the very best that we can be for our families and the best that we can ever offer to our dear children will never come in the form of any earthly thing, but by our personal holiness and devotion to you. And so we pray that you would keep us. We pray that you would shape us and mold us to be men and women, husbands and wives and fathers and mothers who are so filled with the Spirit so that in all that we do, in all of our obedience, in all the duties that you require us to do, that we would be found to be faithful. We pray these things to the glory of God the Father, by the work of Christ the Son, and in the empowering ministry of God the Spirit, three in one, one in three, now and forevermore. Amen.